Welcome back to Sports Crunch with Dee Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo. With training camps concluding this week, the 2018 NFL season is rapidly approaching us like a freight train. And on and off the field, the roar of that train that is the NFL sounds like it's already in midseason form. With numerous clues gathered through week one of the preseason and some key developments around the league, there is a lot to talk about today. And what better person is there to do it with than my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. What's up, Hal? How you doing? I'm doing great, David. So excited football is back. So excited football's back indeed, man. Did you watch a lot of games this week? I'm trying to think. Of, well, I, I watched them all, basically. It's football season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it most certainly is. I unfortunately did not get to all yet, but I hope to catch some highlights of last week's games before uh, Thursday when this week's games uh, begin. But uh, let's start off with some uh, stories that just broke in recent days. And just yesterday, after a 29-day standoff, the Bears and Roquan Smith finally came to an agreement on his rookie contract. Now the big challenge for the Bears is getting the promising young linebacker ready to play by week one is the best bet for them to have Roquan Smith play during the preseason or not having him play during the preseason and instead spend these next three and a half weeks getting him in 100% football shape before the season opener at the Packers. Well, I think they're going to definitely need to get him out into the preseason, shake off a little rust. It's been a long time since he's been on the football field. He does have those great natural instincts, that speed to get to the ball, but we need to see that on the field in the preseason. Maybe not tomorrow, but possibly week three, week four. There's definitely a need to get him out there, get him next to Danny Trevathan in some live game situations and see if he can you know, translate all that great ability he had in college onto the field here and be ready to go week one with only a couple weeks to get ready. That does make sense, but getting him there on more of an extreme pitch count than the others, I think, would make a lot more sense. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree. I mean, there's, you know, he 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 should be able to make an immediate impact either way, but certainly, as you said, that conditioning level is so important, and the players that come in late and don't have that conditioning level and try to go from zero to 100, we've seen it too many times where that leads to, you know, a pulled hamstring, and now he's out for four to six weeks, and you don't have him out there on the field at all. So it's going to be tough for the Bears to manage. They have to find that perfect balance between throwing everything at him and getting as much experience as possible, and at the same time, getting him in football shape. Yes, that is going to be a tight rope to walk for the Bears uh, these next three and a half weeks. And moving on to Philadelphia and the city of brotherly love where there's a lot brewing around the injury front as far as the defending Super Bowl champs are concerned. But obviously the elephant in the room is Carson Wentz. It is still no sure thing he'll be ready to go by week one. When asked today during a radio interview about his chances of being under center opening night, Wentz replied, quote, it's going to be close. At the end of the day, it's just not my decision. There's coaches and doctors that really have the final say, unquote. Also, Doug Peterson said today that Wentz will be reevaluated next week, and they will determine whether he's ready to resume 11-on-11 reps in practice, which Wentz hopes to be cleared for by then. If Wentz isn't cleared by next week for more 11-on-11 work, how likely is it that Nick Foles will be starting week one against the Falcons? Yeah, I've thought all along it, it, it makes sense for Philadelphia to put Foles out there in week one. 
he did the job last year in the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. And Carson Wentz is the long-term plan. They've got to be thinking Carson Wentz, not just in 2018, but for the next four years, the next six years, the next 10 years, you want to take your time. He's your franchise quarterback. Don't get him out there and play at less than 100% and risk an injury when you've got the Super Bowl MVP as your backup. It's it's an situation you're not going to see any other teams in where they can afford to take that step back and not rush Wentz to meet that week one deadline. Oh, I completely agree. But um, for hypothetical sake, let's say Wentz is cleared to do more 11-on-11s next week. Would you still start Foles in week one if he's cleared for 11-on-11s next week? Yeah, I mean, he, he still hasn't been out there. He hasn't taken a hit. And remember, his knee injury was very, very late in the season. It's not like it was in training camp last year where we know he's at 100% and he's had a full year of recovery to get back onto the field. He's missing those a couple of months there of recovery time that other players have had coming back from these knee injuries. And for Philadelphia, like I said, whether he's ready or not, he's going to be chomping at the bit either way. He's just that person. But they have to be smart enough, the coaching staff, to take that step back and say, you know, we need you there, Carson, at the end of the season, in the playoffs, et cetera, long term. You know, dial it back a second, let Foles take week one, week two even, and then we'll get you out there. Yes, and also is the symbolic nature of week one where the Eagles will unveil their championship banner at home, the first Super Bowl in franchise history, and Foles was the engineer of that victory. Do you think the symbolic nature of having Foles under center for that game appeals to some of the Eagles' front office? It should. It should. I mean, what more can you ask out of a backup quarterback than to go and lead your team to the Super Bowl and win that game in the manner that he did? Just that outstanding performance outdueling Tom Brady. That's what everybody's going to want to see week one is is that hero, that Super Bowl star. And, you know, give the guy his let him walk up to the plate and get the uh, applause and the standing ovation. And then later on, week two, whatever, go back to Wentz, you're, you know, on track for MVP quarterback from 2017 before his injury. Yes, but whoever is under center for the Eagles in week one will be likely missing a key, key component. And that component is Alshon Jeffrey. And the other headline coming out of Eagles camp this week is that Jeffrey, who played through a torn rotator cuff for most of last season and immediately underwent surgery after the Super Bowl. And it takes up to nine months to recover from this surgery. And thus it is possible that he begins the season on the reserve PUP list, as was reported by Ian Rappaport yesterday. And should that come to pass, Alshon Jeffrey will likely miss the first six games of the season. How can the Eagles offense function at a high level without their big wide receiver? It's going to be tough for them to replace Jeffrey because they just don't have somebody at wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar is going to stay in the slot. You've got new wide receiver Mike Wallace, Marcus Wheaton there as well, who are stepping in, learning the offense, getting to know the quarterback, getting used to this system to begin with. So for Philadelphia, you're going to see a lot of what they did against the Patriots in Super Bowl 52. They're going to keep that short, quick strike passing game, the RPO options, a lot of Aguilar, 
a lot of the running backs getting involved in the passing game. And remember, they do have Darren Sproles returning from injury this year as well, which gives them another dynamic receiving running back to go with uh, last year's surprise undrafted free agent, Corey Clement, who ended up with 100 yards receiving in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways they can work around the absence of Alshad Jeffrey, even though they cannot replace him. But their rookie tight end, Dallas Goddard, but obviously Eagles fans don't call him Dallas. They call him Philly Goddard. So uh, <laughs> I feel like calling him Philly Goddard myself. But since uh, this is a non-biased radio show, we'll call him by his real name, Dallas Goddard. Uh, Dallas Goddard, uh, he has arguably been the star of training camp for the Eagles. He showed why last week the Eagles traded up in front of the Cowboys to take him, the rookie tight end out of South Dakota State. And he and Zach Ertz are carbon copies of one another. And one of the tenets of Doug Peterson's offense is the tight end position and attacking the middle of the field constantly via those 12 personnel sets um, is not only good for Nick Foles if he starts week one, it's good for Carson Wentz, but it's especially good for a backup like Nick Foles who needs those friendly targets over the middle but if you want to replace Alshaw Jeffrey in the red zone, go with that two tight end set of Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard out wide. That could really help Nick Foles if he has to start in week one. That's a great point. And, and as we've seen, that two tight end offense really in the last, you know, seven, eight years in the NFL has really grown in popularity, especially inside the 20 yard line where those big athletic tight ends, these players that you know, presumably 20 years ago were playing in the NBA are now out stretching the field and using their size and agility to be able to get up and get passes that opposing defensive backs or linebackers don't have a chance against them. Absolutely. And now let's talk about uh, what went down week one of the preseason. And there were a lot of good things to watch and take away from week one of the preseason, but for me, the impressive debuts of Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold stole the show. How impressed were you by Mayfield and Darnold, and who had the better performance in your eyes? It was an interesting comparison. I, I liked Mayfield. You saw that accuracy, his ability to make plays. Um, there was a great pass to Antonio Callaway in tight coverage. That for, I think it was the second touchdown of the game there as well. So, I, I mean, May, Mayfield look exactly as advertised. And for Cleveland fans, it's got to be difficult hearing them talking about Tyrod Taylor with Mayfield looking so very good out there as well. I think with the Jets game, there were flashes from Sam Darnold. He did have some, um, some t a, t a tough time in the second half. He moved the ball really well in the two-minute drill, looked very comfortable. And then in the second half, there were a couple of throws that should have been turnovers that weren't. But I liked his poise in the pocket. He handled the rush. He was able to sidestep, reset, make the throw. To see that out of a rookie in their first preseason game is very, very impressive. So I'm going to give Mayfield the edge, just like he had the edge by two slots in where he was drafted, but but wow, they both looked very impressive for rookies in their first preseason game. Oh, most definitely, and to me, as far as intangibles are concerned, Mayfield and Arnold were hands down the two best quarterbacks in this class, so that's probably why the NFL thought the same way as well, and 
Another common critique of Baker Mayfield during the pre-draft process was, can he complete throws in tight windows? Both touchdowns he threw were completed in tight windows. I think it's time for those Baker Mayfield doubters to start realizing that, that he can make those tight window throws in the NFL. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was very impressive. As you said, both touchdowns, David Njoku, Antonio Callaway, those passes were threaded. He looked like an NFL veteran on those throws. And those were very, very tight windows with the defenders there. And he did an excellent job of, of squeezing that ball in. And um, I, I agree. That was very, very impressive um, to see a rookie making those throws in his first preseason performance. Most certainly. And another thing that impressed me equally about both of them was their ability to make plays on the run and off schedule. And that's, uh, I believe, what really appealed uh, to NFL front offices during the pre-draft process as far as both quarterbacks were concerned. Exactly. It's it's a great skill to have because once they get outside the pocket, you can see the secondary start to break down. And that's where a lot of teams get a lot of big plays in the NFL these days. Almost certainly. And going forward, uh, you have the Jets uh, having Darnold play with the ones this week. He has been lining up with the ones in practice, taking the vast majority of of the snaps with them. Uh, Today, he had a touchdown pass at the joint practices with the Redskins that made the entire Jets sideline erupt. You could see Sam Darnold taking control of that team already. And barring uh, any slip-ups, I think Sam Darnold is going to be the Jets starter week one against the Lions. But the Browns are adamant that Tyrod Taylor will still start week one. And to be fair, Tyrod Taylor showed no reason not to start him as he was very efficient himself, going five for five for almost 100 yards and and a long touchdown to David Njoku down the middle. But if Baker Mayfield keeps this up these next three weeks, shouldn't the Browns feel obligated to speed up that timetable for Baker Mayfield? I think at this point, the talk of redshirting him the entire season looks ridiculous. He's just too advanced, too far along, and and that's why you spent the number one overall pick on the guy, was to be your franchise quarterback. And, you know, you look back and you see quarterbacks like Peyton Manning, um, Troy Aikman, who were thrown out to the fire that first year and maybe took some lumps, but they had that mental toughness where that didn't break them. They were able to grow and learn from that and had those much, much improved second seasons and accelerated the timetable for for NFL quarterbacks making that next step. And we've even seen it with rookie quarterbacks as well, seeing the growth of the quarterback over the season just in the last few years. Goff, Wentz, um, you know, it's it's almost at the point where you want to play them early rather than sit them. But again, both teams feel comfortable with Tyrod Taylor looked good. Teddy Bridgewater was very impressive as well for the Jets and his return to action. He was, you know, op- able to find a lot of open targets. He looked good, able to move in the pocket as well. So maybe they don't feel that pressure but i think by you know these these guys have got to be an option to win the job let if they outperform the veteran let them win the job let them get out on the field week 1 i don't see any problem with that oh neither do i but the jets have some interesting roster decisions given their quarterback room uh, not just Sam Darnold but as you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater and Josh McCown who had a very very good season for them uh, last year 
Um, if there is an odd man out in that room, is it Teddy Bridgewater or is it Josh McCown? I think it's Teddy Bridgewater. Josh McCown isn't going to have a lot of trade value. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, there were a lot of teams interested in him that didn't want to take the plunge on him just because they weren't sure what that injury situation was. Um, McCown also has the advantage of he has been in the role of the mentor in the past. He's been comfortable with that. He's willing to work with the younger quarterbacks, whereas Bridgewater is still a younger quarterback in the NFL and is more likely to be chomping at the bit and uncomfortable in a backup role. I completely agree. Josh McCown would be the ideal backup for Sam Darnold because he's a guy who could mentor Sam Darnold, show him how to grind in the NFL, and and teach him uh, how to study hard and work hard and be a good guy on and off the field as well. So I think it would be make a lot more sense for the Jets to get some draft capital for Teddy Bridgewater so they can help Sam Donald out in the draft next year and help him by having Josh McCown by his side as his veteran uh, mentor. And on Saturday night, the Minnesota Vikings showed why they are my pick to represent the NFC in Super Bowl 52 with a phenomenal performance over the Denver Broncos. And in your eyes, how much did that performance last week justify that strong belief of mine that the Vikings are going to be Super Bowl bound this year? You know, I mean, you look at a team that was so good on defense last year. They spent a first round pick on cornerback Mike Hughes. We had talked about that a couple shows ago, that that great Minnesota secondary. And Hughes went out and looked like probably the best cornerback on the field. Um, made a couple of great passes, blew up a screen pass, was involved in the running game, was blanketing receivers throughout his time on the field. I mean, I was just overwhelmed by by how good he looked as a rookie cornerback in his first performance. And, and that was a, a great defensive performance by that first unit of the Vikings unit as well, as, as they were strong and aggressive against the Broncos. Yes, and but what stood out to me, obviously, was the opening drive and Kirk Cousins' debut with the Vikings. He was sharp, he was crisp, and he and Stephon Diggs already seemed to have midseason chemistry with one another, as was evidenced by that amazing pass threading a tight needle where Bradley Roby had tremendous coverage on Stephon Diggs. Bradley Roby, to, to, to be fair to him, he did everything right, but Cousins just put it on the money in the bucket uh, to where only Stephon Diggs could catch that pass. And and that uh, crisp uh, surgical drive just showed how high the Viking ceiling is this year on offense as well. Heck, they could have a top five offense and a top five defense. They really could. I mean, that was um, Cousins looked impressive. There had to be guys standing on the sideline in Minnesota looking at Case Keenum across the field saying, you know, we appreciate what you did last year, Case, but you weren't doing that. <laughs> And uh, uh, yes, Stephon Diggs would have had to contort his body infinitely more if Case Keenum threw that pass. Exactly. And to see that that chemistry with Diggs, um, so impressive. You know, Diggs certainly signing the big contract doesn't look to be slowing down at all. And it's kind of at the point now where you're looking at where Keenum went out for Denver and had a very quiet debut. You're kind of scratching your head and saying, geez, was it that great Minnesota offensive line, those weapons in the passing game? Was that what elevated Case Keenum, or was he elevating that office offense? And through one game, it looked like it was more uh, 
the players around him than Case Keenum himself. While I think you're right about that, it is still too early to consider Case Keenum a bust for the Broncos. I still think Case Keenum could be very, very efficient for the Broncos and put up a stat line uh, similar to last year, although uh, with that supporting cast of Denver, not as strong around him as in Minnesota. Uh, he'll probably take a step back, but I still think Case Keenum can be better than the version he was with the Rams with uh, Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. And you can't just uh, jump to a conclusion like that based off of just uh, six plays. Oh, definitely not. However, um, you know, like you said, Cousins did look good. I think with um, Keenum, it's going to help that the Broncos defense um, should play better than they did against Minnesota during the regular season. There's just too much talent, especially in that secondary as well. Uh, Darian Stewart looked great. Uh, Boston College Eagle Justin Simmons continues to grow as a safety there in Denver as well. And even adding some slot cornerback to his uh, repertoire. So it's going to be interesting in Denver to see if that offense can once again uh, try to keep up with the defense there, which seems two steps ahead of them, and and how that's going to affect the Broncos in 2018. We will know that soon enough. But back to the Vikings for a minute. I understand the concerns about the offensive line uh, that they have, uh, especially in terms of pass protection. But according to Paul Allen, who is the radio play-by-play announcer uh, for the Vikings, he has been saying that the Vikings have been um, making explosive plays in the running game on the first team defense in training camp, for crying out loud, and making those plays against a defense like that should give Vikings fans a lot of encouragement. And they were able to translate it to the field on Saturday night with those back-to-back 20-yard runs by Latavius Murray. So for the Vikings to mask the deficiencies they have in pass protection, I think it might benefit them to start out games by running the ball down, down the defense's throat. And that'll make Kirk Cousins life infinitely easier and will make uh, the pass rush tired very quickly and he could uh, explode in the second half through for more air yards. Well, that's a great point because, I mean, we saw how electric uh, Dalvin Cook was in his uh, brief time with Minnesota before he got injured. And having him back at full speed, um, you know, I mean, that offensive line, Nick Easton out for the year, Pat Elfling still on the, the pop list there in Minnesota. So there's a lot of uh, younger, untested players on that offensive line that if they're more comfortable in run blocking, like you said, that's a, that's a great game plan to head into the season before they get healthy and get everyone up to speed is to lean on that dynamic running back that they have to, to set up the passing game later. Yes. And let's go back to the Broncos for a second. And the Broncos, while Chad Kelly lit the world on fire in the second half, Uh, You cannot ignore how the night began for them um, with the first string offense and defense. And this is what plagued the Broncos last year, getting punched in the gut to start out the game almost instantly and uh, never recovering. And that falls on the coaching staff. And if the Broncos continue to play this way in September and start the season, either one and three or and four, should Vance Joseph be fired by then? Well, I'll tell you, I, I was surprised Vance Joseph even came back after that difficult 5-11 and season. Um, you know, they had such a great defense that seemed to 
between attrition and you know that losing season was much worse than advertised last year. The offense was stagnant. Vance Joseph has got to do something to wake them up on offense in Denver. I'm not sure what it's going to take to get them uh, back to a, a to a higher level. Obviously, Peyton Manning's not walking into the building anytime soon. Um, first round pick Paxton Lynch, Lynch had another bad game, uh, preseason game one. He looks like he's behind Chad Kelly right now. Sure and is. It, he got demoted. And, and, yeah, exactly. So there it has happened already. They've come out and, you know, you're looking at Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Brock Eyes, uh, Brock Osweiler. You can understand the need to move on from Case Keenum, but they need to find some way to, to get that offense rejuvenated and aggressive and that's falling on offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave, who's probably, if Joseph is out the door after a rough start, probably right along with him. It's going to be interesting to see how things unfold in the Mile High City. And what other things stood out to you in the first full week of preseason action, Hal? Well, a lot of different things standing out in there. Um, you know, we talked about Philadelphia briefly, but Nate Sudfield had a interesting game as that third string quarterback as well um the Steelers offense even without Ben Roethlisberger playing Juju Smith-Schuster came up with another huge play and the thought of him taking another big step forward in 2018 makes that Pittsburgh offense look like it could be beyond scary this year oh it most certainly could and another big takeaway I had from the preseason this week uh I saw a clip of uh, Alvin Kamara in the Saints matchup with Jacksonville. He just obliterated a linebacker in pass protection. And with Mark Ingram um, on the shelf for the first four weeks of the season, serving that suspension for PEDs, I think Alvin Kamara has the chance to put a stranglehold on that backfield and become the workhorse. Even when Ingram gets back, I think it's possible that Kamara could get up to words of 75, maybe even 80% of the touches between the two this season. Well, um, I don't know if they would, would go that far. You know, Ingram does give them that big grinding back that the offense likes to, likes to have to control the clock and, and slow the game down. Kamara was kind of quiet other than that great backside pickup that he had. That was very impressive. He, I saw a screen pass that he, couldn't pick up it was a little low but he still should have had that you know I didn't see those those big runs I think teams identify him more in the backfield and they're a little more wary than you know he might have snuck on up snuck up on them a bit last year so having Ingram in there to wear down those defenses is a big part of what makes Camara a half step uh, faster than those defenses out there in my opinion Oh, yes. And another thing that stood out to me was uh, the Los Angeles Chargers and their young pups on defense. Uh, Derwin James made some good plays on Saturday night against the Cardinals. Uh, Kazir White, uh, their rookie uh, linebacker from West Virginia, he looked very good. And Uchenna Nwosu, their second-round pick from USC, who could become a third-pass rusher if Gus Bradley wants to make some sort of NASCAR package with him, Joey Bosa, Melvin Egram. He had some great moments as well. 
So I think the Chargers defense with the addition of these three players could be even better this year than they were last year because Derwin James and Kazir White will make them stronger up the middle potentially and uh, Uchenna DeWosu gives them another great pass rush weapon to go along with the big two in Boson Ingram. Yeah, I mean, it almost seemed unfair seeing Nuosu out there generating multiple pressure. Now, granted, the, the Cardinals' offensive line is is pretty bad to start with. And, you know, getting the backups to the pretty bad players could be make it look a little uh, worse than it actually was. But but he looked impressive. He was in the backfield seemingly every play. And, and how does a team that, that that's that rich at edge rushers get to have another one as a depth one, like Nawosu, who was so explosive. Um, another guy that looked good, too, that I had a, a check mark next to watching the Chargers game was uh, Desmond King out at cornerback as well. He made a couple of nice plays in coverage, I thought. Almost had a pick off of uh, rookie Josh Rosen, who did not look as impressive as... Um, Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, but I think a lot of that was the fact that he was running for his life most of the game, too, thanks to Nuoso and that uh, aggressive Chargers front. Oh, most certainly, and that's probably why Josh Rosen is going to get some much-needed reps with the first-string offense this week behind that uh, first-string offensive line because Josh Rosen has very limited pocket mobility, and you need to keep him clean in order for him to achieve his peak potential. But the Cardinals should be encouraged from what they saw as well. David Johnson ripped up back-to-back double-digit yard runs. And that offensive line for the Cardinals, while still uh, shaky at pass protection, uh, they really blew the Chargers off the ball uh, on on that first drive. And having David Johnson uh, appear, he's already in midseason form, that is crucial for the Cardinals if they want to get anything out of this season. Oh, definitely. They're going to be riding Johnson the entire year and it was great to see him come out he just looked his usual explosive self he was crisp he was just it was only two runs but like you said he looked dominant he attacked the hole he got to the second level it was like the david johnson of old like he hadn't lost a step so for the cardinals he's going to be very involved whether it be the running game whether it be the passing game and, you know, he could drag that team close to a 500 record uh, just by him and uh, the ageless Larry Fitzgerald there at wide receiver. Oh, yes. And another big takeaway I had uh, from preseason last week was I think Andrew Luck looked very, very good in his limited action against the Seahawks. He looked efficient. He was he sped up his release. He's getting rid of the ball quicker and he has some guys who could create yards after the catch aside from T.Y. Hilton, especially at that backfield. So uh, Andrew Luck having a comeback player of the year season shouldn't be out of the cards here. Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, the first step was just to get Luck out onto the field, which was a great thing to see there um, for Indianapolis and and great for the NFL. You know, he might have been a a little rusty at times. I think he overthrew T.Y. Hilton at one point. Um, had another pass out on the sideline, a quick out that he just didn't get there. But that's just the rust of having not played in so long, I think. It didn't look like there was any problem with the arm strength or anything like that. Um, and just like you said, getting the ball out of his hands with Frank Reich there, with that kind of offensive system that he has brought over to Indianapolis, emphasizing that that's only going to help Luck as well because 
you know, one of the problems with the Indianapolis offense in the past was just the fact that Luck was standing back there for so long in the pocket um, with Chuck Pagano there, his offense and, and Rob Chudzinski and, and trying to get the ball downfield, pushing it downfield. Great in theory, but not when nobody's blocking for him there. And that really hurt him in the past and set him up to take so many hits. So I think that's a great point. Getting the ball out of his hands quickly was something I noticed as well. And if Indianapolis can keep that up, they should get vintage Andrew Luck and be able to keep him healthy back there as well. Oh, especially with the addition of Big Q, Quentin Nelson, who also looked very, very good in his debut, especially in the run game. There was one play where uh, he pulled and just annihilated the guy. Oh, he was impressive in the running game. He was a little shaky in pass protection. There were a couple of times you could see he allowed some pressure back there. But again, a, a rookie, uh, you know, playing out attack, playing at guard there, he's going to have some of those issues. But but the run blocking was, wow, he was just blowing people away. And, and that was really impressive. And I thought uh, Ryan Kelly was somebody, the center in Indianapolis as well, who was very impressive in the running game as well. So for Indianapolis, that's a that's a great thing to be able to take some of the pressure off of luck if they're going to be able to run the ball in 2018. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, fullpresscoverage.com. You can also check out his work at bostonsportpage.com and musketfire.com if you are a Patriots fan. And you can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, it's always a pleasure talking football with you every single week. But before we go, let's talk about a guy we talked about last week, and that is Shaquem Griffin. Shaquem Griffin, the most inspiring story in football that I personally have experienced, dare I say, in years, if not ever. Uh, Shaquib Griffin, we talked last week about the Seahawks giving him a chance as a dime linebacker, and he looked the part last week. He On four straight plays, he made four straight tackles, including one tackle for a loss. And I think he justified that hype last week coming out of training camp, and I think the Seahawks um, might have a future underrated staple of their defense in Shaquem Griffin going forward. I don't think there's anybody that that the uh, any NFL fan wants to succeed more than Shaquem Griffin. There were some highlights in his in his play. I thought there were a couple of um, inconsistencies as well in the running game. There were a couple of times he was blasting up a gap and seemed to be in the wrong place. Um, got overpowered a few times as that's well. That's typical. Uh, that had to be expected. That, exactly, and that's something that you know. Um, it's going to happen to any young linebacker in the NFL. And for Shaquem Griffin, though, that athletic ability that he brings to the field, I mean, he, he is just so fast and so explosive. And he, it's not that straight line speed. It's that closing speed. It's that quick acceleration. And he really does look like a special player out there. I mean, he just gets from one side of the field to the other and, just that speed, Pete Carroll must be drooling thinking of all the things that he can do with Griffin this year and in the years to come in Seattle. Absolutely. Hal, it's once again always a pleasure talking with you, and we look forward to having you back on next week. Sounds great, David. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch all these games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even a Monday night game. 
I mean, it, it's starting to feel like real NFL football's coming very, very soon when I get a Monday night game to watch. Oh, man, it most certainly is. I cannot wait. And for the record, on Saturday night, I will be in Denver to watch the two teams I've spent most of my life rooting for, the Chicago Bears and the Denver Broncos, play each other. And hopefully both of them will give reasons for optimism. And I will be writing a blog post on that game as well. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a very fun week of football. And uh, as you said, Hal, it's starting to feel like real football is back, and it'll officially be back three weeks from Thursday night. Oh, can't come soon enough for me, David. Can't come soon enough for me. Great preseason so far, and it's only just begun. It's only just begun indeed, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back with a lot more later this week and next week, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromlow saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.